I'd guess your answer depends a little bit on how old you are. If you are my parents' age, you can probably remember when the juice was setting records at USC and in the NFL. People my age never got to see him play football, but I remember being told that that mediocre actor in The Naked Gun had a long time ago been an outstanding running back. Those who are my children's age, of course, only know him as a famous defendant in a murder trial, if they know him at all. Like many of you, I bet I can remember where I was when Simpson's white Ford Bronco led an army of police cars on a low-speed chase around Los Angeles. And I remember where I was 16 months after that when the verdict in his murder trial was read. It's probably a consequence of my age, but more than anything, I remember not really caring all that much about the trial and being surprised at what a big deal grown-ups seem to be making about it. Except that one of my teachers kept the trial on on a television in her classroom, which was a welcome distraction from schoolwork, I wasn't in any way invested in the outcome. But if I had been pressed to offer an assessment of Simpson's not guilty verdict, I would have called it a miscarriage of justice, another example of a celebrity using his power, influence, and wealth to buy the outcome he desired. Of course, I would have reached that conclusion not because I had weighed all the evidence offered at trial. I barely watched any of the proceedings. I couldn't have told you what the burden of proof was nor could I have separated in any way the media's coverage of the trial from the trial itself. But I still could have told you that Simpson deserved to go to prison, not because I cared about that, but because I belonged to a community that was predisposed to think of him as guilty. There were no black students in the classroom where I was when that verdict was heard. I was so insulated from anyone who thought otherwise that it wasn't until 15 years later when the adult animated sitcom Family Guy reminisced about how differently white and black America had responded to the verdict that it even occurred to me that anyone other than the defendant and his attorneys would have celebrated the outcome. Sometimes we interpret world events not because of what has actually happened, but because of our attachments and our relationships. There will be signs, Jesus tells us, signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. There will be on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. And when those calamitous signs take place, Jesus explains, many people will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. But when you see those things taking place, he tells us, Stand up and raise up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. There are two kinds of people in the world, Jesus reminds us, and when the cosmos is shaken to its foundations, we will see who is who. 
Many will run and hide in panic because the sky is falling. But apparently those of us who belong to Jesus will stand up tall and look toward the heavens in order to see that our redemption is drawing near. Why such different reactions to the same signs? It seems that those who belong to the world, those whose values and whose hopes are enmeshed with the powers of the earth, that they will have every reason to cower in fear because everything they've built their life upon will come tumbling to the ground. But those whose only hope rests on the one who will come and make all things new, they will stand up and celebrate that great and glorious day because then and only then will their salvation be complete. What do we do with all that? This gospel lesson tells us that our job as people of faith is to make sure that we can recognize those signs when they come for what they really are and embrace them as signs of renewal and new life. But to get to that point, to get to that tough place where we're able to look up when the sky is falling, it helps to remember what Jesus doesn't tell us to do. Something we forget pretty often, I think. As eager as we might be, for the perfection of all things. As desperate as we are for the perfection of all things, Jesus never tells us to make God's kingdom come. That's God's job. Our job is to look for it, to watch for it, to pray for it, to hope for it, to anticipate it. But we aren't the ones who make God's reign come. That, that's God's work. And sometimes that work takes place in and through us as we offer ourselves into that work, into what it means to live in the kingdom of God each day. But ultimately, that great and final consummation of God's loving purposes isn't up to us, it's up to God. And frustrating though that may be at times, it's good news. In part, it's good news because it's exhausting when we convince ourselves that we're the only ones who can make sure that good will happen in this world. Aren't you tired too? I'm tired. I'm tired of things not going the way it seems God would want them to go. Yes, we are called to the tireless work of living within the kingdom of God, but that kingdom is always bigger than any jury verdict, any political candidate, any piece of legislation that we might celebrate. And it's also good news that God's reign belongs to God because even when we think we've got this whole standing on the right side of justice thing figured out, sometimes we still mess things up because we're human. And as mere mortals, there is no decision that we can make, either individually or collectively, that will bring God's reign to its fulfillment. But we can recognize it when it comes. We can recognize that when the sun and moon and stars begin to fall, when the seas and the waves roar, when the powers of heaven begin to shake, we can recognize that those are signs that our redemption is drawing near. 
Sometimes Christians seem to get confused about what all those signs really mean. Because sometimes overly enthusiastic preachers like to tell us that that particular natural disaster or this particular world event is the ultimate sign that the end is near. I don't know a lot about all that. But I do know that I take comfort in Jesus' words to his disciples. Look at the fig tree and all the trees, he tells us. As soon as they sprout leaves, you know for yourselves, you can see that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Maybe interpreting the signs that the fulfillment of all things has drawn near to us is really as simple and obvious as noticing that when a tree begins to bud, summer is right around the corner. Who doesn't know that? Our problem isn't that we focus on the wrong signs or allow preachers to convince us to misinterpret those signs. Our problem is that we fail to notice that these signs all around us are evidence of God's reign coming near. We miss them because we allow ourselves to become distracted by other priorities, and what otherwise would come to us as good news seems terrifying. Notice that Jesus warns his disciples not to be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, or else the day of Christ might catch them unexpectedly like a trap. That's a warning for us to heed as well. In the Bible, drunkenness doesn't just mean the overindulgence of alcohol. Prophets use the image of drunkenness to describe what it means when our faculties are dulled, by the allure of the world. In other words, in the Bible, people who are drunk are drunk not only on wine, but on all of those temporal earthly pleasures that distract us from the centrality and the importance of the coming reign of God. If the complete and chaotic reordering of the world feels threatening to us, Maybe it's because we've become so accustomed to the comforts of this life that we've forgotten how to recognize what God is doing when the world gets turned upside down. Every once in a while, we get a glimpse of God's great reordering of the world. Those are the moments when the power of Christ's victory over sin and death break through into this life when they reveal to us the ways in which God is bringing all things to their perfection, even now. For many of us, those breakthrough moments are deeply divisive and threatening. But for others, those same signs are signs of hope and promise. Our job is to forsake our attachment to the ways of the world until we are able to see and recognize those signs for what they are, signs of the coming of God's reign, the coming of our redemption. We can't make God's kingdom come. Only God can do that. But we can recognize that reign when it arrives. And when we begin to see those signs of God's reign breaking through as signs not of threat and destruction, but of hope and renewal of new life, then even we can find the strength to stand up tall and look toward the heavens and celebrate what is coming 
even our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who comes to make all things new, to him be all honor and glory, world without end. Amen.